0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. We're very much aware of the myriad of statistics that show the direct correlation between the rise in divorce rates and the rise in single-parent homes, especially those raised by a single mom, over the last probably 50 years. I won't take the time to inundate you with those statistics. If you're curious, you can find them anywhere on Google. Uh, But there is an absolute direct correlation between the rise in the divorce rates and the rise in single-parent homes, especially those raised by a single mom, and the rise in youth crime rates, teenage pregnancy, teenage depression, which is uh, something that's really come to light in the last five years or so. From the beginning of recorded time, God has established that the single marriage, family unit as the foundational element of society. Come with me back to Genesis chapter 1 as we begin. Genesis chapter 1. And thank you, Brother Larry, as well for your sermonette. Back to Genesis chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 26 where God said, Let us make man in our image... According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now verse 27 of Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then jump forward to chapter 2. Before we make comments, chapter 2 and verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones." And flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. These were the very first instructions from God to his people. Build a family together. Go forth and multiply. Fill the earth. Take care of the earth and joined together as one, with one flesh, and we see the beginning of, the, of, of what amounts to the family unit being established right from creation. What we see today as society drifts further and further away from God's laws, remember that our nations were once founded upon biblical principles, that the family unit is no longer foundational. In fact, to society today, and it, we've been uh, inundated in our part of the world with governments trying to change the meaning of family society today has obscured the meaning of marriage priests now not only perform same-sex marriages but even marriages between pets and we can find none of these in our Bible so it is little wonder that with the nuclear family no longer being the foundation of society with the commitment levels of husbands and wives thrown away at a 50% rate, if there was ever any commitment at all, because in, in part, part of our statistics also show the divorce rate is going down, but that's because the denominator is going, is, uh, going down. So there's, not enough, there's not enough marriages actually happening to be, the divorce rate isn't overall going down, it's people, less people are getting married, so the statistics are being skewed by uh, an improper understanding of the statistics. That this world, is it any wonder that this world we live in resembles the time of Noah, where God chose to start all over again because of the state of sin that the world lived in. As parents, we long for the second coming of Jesus Christ, especially when we look at our own children and wonder how much worse this world will be for them in 10 to 20 years. Or perhaps you look at your grandchildren and wonder how how bad the world will be in 10 to 20 years for them. What kind of world, in in my mind, I think, what kind of world will my grandchildren be born into if Christ does not come back before them? When it was time for the Father to send his Son, the Logos, to this earth for the first time, who would he be entrusted with his care? We know that God looked down specifically and chose Mary. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we know that God looked down from heaven in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1 quoting from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So God looks down into the the area of Jerusalem and picks out Mary for all that she is, for all that her character was. And we know that she was a special lady. She was handpicked by God to fulfill this prophecy to look after the child who would become Messiah. But often overlooked and equally as important though is the man he chose to be his dad. Unlike Mary who was Jesus' biological mother, Joseph was his adoptive father who raised God's son as his very own. So today, with Father's Day approaching, and the commercialism of Father's Day all around us, and, I, and more importantly, as we continue to build the, the foundation of this congregation, in a world where we are like salmon, struggling to struggling to swim upstream, let's take a look at the man God chose to raise his son. We will see that he was a man ahead of his time. We will then take some time to note examples of other fathers in Scripture to see what we can learn and apply today. And finally, I'd like to address the impact of these lessons here on our congregation and in our individual lives. And we'll see that all of us, dads, those who aren't dads, men and women, and have an impact on that we all have an impact on the role of fathers. So we're in Matthew chapter 1. Let's stay there. And let's look at a few characteristics of the man we know as Joseph, the husband of Mary. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Let's go back to verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph... When they came together, she found, was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about those things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with his child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. We know that very... Little is written about Joseph. He evidently didn't, apparently did not have a very long life. He wasn't around for much of Christ's life. But here, the man chosen, we look back in verse 19, the first point we're going to look at is he was a just man. Joseph was a just man. That word, going back to Strong's, is in the Greek concordance number 1342, is the word dikaios, D-I-K-A-I-O-S, dikaios. And it means equitable in character, holy, just, and righteous. It is used 81 times in the New Testament. and is tra- In our English Bibles, it is translated into four different words. Righteous, the most often it is translated as righteous. Other times, like in this case, it's translated as just. Right and meet. Let's take a quick example to understand exactly what just really means. We'll look at some other men of scripture who were described with this word, dikaios, that we see translated as just. Let's go over to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. So like this man Joseph that God chose, we see John the Baptist in verse 20. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man and protected him. So John the Baptist was re- was described in this similar vein as being just. And remember, Scripture tells us that there was no one greater born of a woman than John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. This word dikaios. And by comparing... These other men, who were these other individuals, actually, who were called, using the same adjective, we can describe exactly the type of character that Joseph was. Luke chapter 1, verse 6. Starting verse 5, There was, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah, of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So both Zacharias and Elizabeth, who were the parents of John the Baptist, were described in this way with the word dikaios, and they here in English translated as righteous, adhering to the commandments and the ordinances of God, blameless. Not sinless, but an overall, an overall walking of the way of life, that they followed God's laws and his ways to the best, the very best of their ability. Luke chapter 2, just over a few pages. We see this individual by the name of Simeon. He was the man who blessed God for allowing him to live long enough to see the birth of the Christ child. And verse 25 of Luke chapter 2. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him and you can take time in your studies to read and verify that he was uh, had asked God to be kept alive long enough to see the birth of the Christ child and actually got to hold him but here is an, he was described as being just and devout just a couple more examples here this next one is interesting turn to John chapter 17 John chapter 17 This was Christ's prayer after the Lord's Supper, praying in front of his followers. John chapter 17, verse 24, in his prayer to his father, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. That word righteous is the same word dikaios. So God himself was described in this way of of the same adjective dechios that Joseph was used and described as. And one final example is Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 verse 22. Again, we're flipping rather quickly through these examples because we're just getting an idea of who else was described in this just way? Acts chapter 10, verse 22. They said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man. And here, this word this word just is the same word that is just that is used here to Caius. But let's read further and see what the impact of what this really means. He's described as one who fears God, one who has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely, divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house, and to hear words from you. So here was a man who followed God, he knew the laws of God, he followed them to the best of his abilities, and he was well known as being that way. He was well known in amongst all the Jews as being this type of man. Joseph, we see, just from this one use of this one word, and studying it in scripture to see who, who else was described this way, was a man of godly character. Character is often described as what we do and who we are when no one else is watching. God looked down and chose a man who was upright and who did the right things because they were the right things. He was holy, he was just, and he was righteous. He wasn't perfect. None of us are. But he was a man that God could trust to raise his son while he was an infant and while he was a little boy. This is the type of man God wanted raising his son in his formative years. The second part, the second point describing Joseph. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. And we will read the law the portion of the law that describes the penalty for those who have been caught in the act of adultery. Verse 10, Leviticus 20, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Succinct, simple, very, very clear. If adultery has been proven, The adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. No questions. Joseph, however, let's go back to Matthew chapter 1, was a compassionate man. He was a compassionate man. We read in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 1, then Joseph, her husband, again, the, the fact that she was her husband is because verse 18 says he was betrothed, and in God's mind that was an act of fidelity, where they were, they hadn't hadn't they weren't officially married, they weren't hadn't consummated the marriage per se, but the fact that they had committed to that, this was an act of betrothal, and in, in, in that society then, today we would consider it an engagement period of, so, of sorts, but to God, here. And in the the, the writer Matthew, then Joseph, her husband, not her fiancé, but her husband, as it was described there, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. We'll stop there for the time being. Two points here. His compassion and his love for Mary usurped his understanding of the law. He knew what the law was. It said he was a just man. He was a devout man. He was righteous and blameless, as that word is described in other places. He knew what the law said. He knew that his wife was pregnant, and it wasn't him. So, therefore, it had to have been somebody else. So we have a case of an adulterer, apparently an adulterer, and an adulteress. he loved her. He loved her. So, he was struggling here, and we see the word here that he thought about these things. He didn't act rashly. He didn't act off the cuff. He went home and thought about it. Slept on it. Perhaps he prayed about it. And thought, there's got to be another way to do this. What if we just do this quietly and secretly and just put her away Send her to another part of the country, however he was going to, however he was going to do it, he was considering it. He had a right to make a public embarrassment of her to the point of death. The, the, law, the law stated so, the well, law was very clear. We read that verse. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about that one. It was if this happens, this happens. But his heart caused him to stop and think first. And while he was thinking, Again, he did not make a rash decision, but while he was thinking, an angel came to assure him it was okay. He was already thinking of a legal way around this. It said while he was thinking, an angel came. So he didn't react to God saying, hey, don't like Abraham, where God said stop. And he went, oh, okay, I'll stop. Before the angel appeared to him in a dream, he was already thinking of a way to get around this. Because he was compassionate. He clearly understood that the mercy seat covers the law and always has. The mercy seat that we talked the, about, the law that we see that we talked about in the youth study being inside the Ark of the Covenant when it was in its proper place in the tabernacle was underneath the mercy seat. God is not looking to punish people for his pleasure because where mercy can be meted out, it should be meted out. And Joseph understood this. And he understood it and was thinking about this Long before God came to him in a dream to to assure him that his thoughts were right. Years later, we go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We come to the story of the woman caught in adultery. At the end of the Feast of tabernacles, actually, on the eighth day, But that's another story. Years later, when he was trying to show the religious leaders of that day that mercy should trump the penalty when there is a repentant heart. We won't take time to go through that story. You can take time to read it yourself, verses 1 through 11. But Christ, at the end of this, simply said to her, verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up from the ground, when he wrote whatever it was that he wrote in the ground, which is always fun to debate, and saw that no one was there but the woman he said to her woman where are those accusers of yours and has no one condemned you they have a right to condemn you the law the law is there if she was caught in adultery they have a right to condemn her but whatever he wrote in the sand obviously caught their heart and they went away and she said no one lord and jesus said to her god in the form of his son, god the son here the logos said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Christ, who helped write that law, had every right to condemn her. And said, you know what? I'm not going to condemn you. Now it doesn't go into his mindset here. But, his answer was simple. It was compassionate. Because the example had been set throughout his life. Not only by his holy father, his spiritual father but by his physical father imagine his thoughts that if my dad had been like these men my mom would have been killed he would have put my mom would have been killed but my dad, the guy the man that God allowed to raise me was a man ahead of his time he displayed compassion before the law, when he thought about a a different way to handle Mary's apparent infidelity. Joseph was a man filled with compassion and love, a man ahead of his time, specifically chosen to set the example for a boy who would become the Messiah. And again, when mercy is accompanied by by repentance, it is always the best best path to choose. And that in and of itself became the foundation of this way of life that Christ himself later would lay down his life for all of mankind. But something that he would have learned as a boy from his dad, Joseph. Back to Matthew chapter 1. Same story, back to verse 20. There's a lot to pick out of these small little accounts. So we see Joseph was a just and an upright man. We see he was a compassionate man long ahead of his time. And now we see he was an obedient man. He was obedient to God. He followed God. He was very plugged into his relationship with his father. Verse 20. But while he thought about these things, and behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. To take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And here is the point of his obedience. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife. And did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. He didn't question. He didn't wonder, is this a dream? Is this not a dream? I wonder what God's trying to do here. Everything in his dream pointed to all that he knew from Old Testament Scripture, all that he knew from the Holy Scriptures. And he immediately obeyed. Immediately obeyed. He knew, let's go back to, rather than reference, let's go back to 1 Samuel 28. Hold your place in Matthew 1. We'll come back. But go back to 1 Samuel 28. We can see various examples of this. But 1 Samuel 28 and verse 6 tells us, using the example of Saul when Saul consulted the medium, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. And Saul, uh, Joseph would have known from his understanding of Hebrew scripture that God did communicate in part in dreams. He also used the urim and the Thuim, the drawing of lots, so to speak, and he also communicated through prophets. But here, this dream, and it was he. It was he had quoted scripture, the holy scriptures from Isaiah. He had known that God did communicate in part in dreams, and he immediately immediately obeyed God he didn't doubt, he didn't question he was so in touch in his relationship with God that he immediately knew this was fact and we see that he was so plugged into his relationship with God that this dream simply confirmed what he had been thinking all along so because his heart was in the right place all God did was confirm this for him in a dream he was quick to obey and follow God. We see other examples in the life of Joseph. Turn a couple of pages over. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 12. We'll just pick out a couple of parts here. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, They departed for their own country another way. Again, God spoke to Joseph in a dream, and he immediately followed. He immediately obeyed. Verse 13, Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, again, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying out of Egypt I called my son. So an understanding of scripture combined with an understanding at that time that God spoke in dreams and Joseph simply immediately obeyed. Dropping down to verse 19. Now when Herod was dead behold an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, that he shall be called a Nazarene. So again, Understanding of Scripture combined with understanding that God speaks in a dream, and it had why mess with success? It had been it had guided him thus far, and he immediately obeyed, immediately obeyed. A life filled with making decisions to follow God. You could see you could say that Joseph's motto was wherever he leads, I will go. This culminates in a passage in Luke, if you turn to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter 2 and in verse 39 where Luke writes, so when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee and to their own city Nazareth and the child grew and became strong in spirit. Filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. When they had performed everything God had wanted him to do, they settled where God said, and there the Christ child grew and became strong in spirit. Filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Again, a life filled with following God. So you can imagine Christ's explanation further down in this this. Verses 41 to 40 to 50 talk about his when he was 12 years old and his keeping of the Passover. We won't take time to read the whole account in full. You can do that on your own time. But you recall that at the end of the, the... when they were journeying home, they had left Christ behind. Whatever their... whatever however big their convoy was, they had lost track and Christ had stayed behind. He was, of course, in the temple. But when they had caught up to him, when they went back and got him, Verse 48, they saw that it was him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have saw you anxiously. So again, parents, he wasn't a perfect man. He had, they had uh, he left Joseph behind. and Christ said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to him. So you can imagine Christ's explanation to his parents that they had to loosen the reins on this budding Messiah. You taught me, he he could have said to his parents, you taught me to follow God's instructions. And again, even in their not entirely understanding what Christ meant, Joseph didn't stand in the way of Jesus' obedience. You can imagine a 12-year-old saying that to me. I probably would have said, I don't care what you think you're doing, get in this van, get in this convoy, and let's get going home. But Joseph was so plugged in that even when Christ said this to him, he didn't stand in his way. He didn't stand in his way. Even in his humanity of not immediately understanding, he didn't stand in his way. He was an obedient man who followed God wherever he led. And he led his family and taught them to follow God. Years later, we see that his family were not initially believers. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 54. we'll pick it up in verse 54 of Matthew 13 when he, Christ had come to his own country he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works is this not the carpenter's son is this not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters are they not all with us Where then did this man get all of these things? So they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So it seems that at the early stages of his ministry, his family did not buy into or follow the way. Despite their upbringing under Joseph, Despite all that Joseph, that we've said that Joseph was a just, a righteous man, a compassionate man, a man who was obedient and followed God, we see here that James and Judas are mentioned here. But if we go back to Proverbs 22, something that all parents can take to heart as we raise our children and hope that God calls them. There's a proverb of hope here, verse 6 of Proverbs 22, that says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's incumbent upon us to raise our children. When they are adults, we let God look after calling them in this life. That's, that's God's prerogative. As much as much as it, it pains us sometimes to watch our children choose another option. We must let God do the calling. We cannot call our children, only God can. But what we can do is raise them right. And scripture here tells us, when we raise them right, that will always be there. So that when God is ready to call them, whenever he chooses that to be, they will remember what they were taught. We see later, James, one of those four sons mentioned, became a leader in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. And he was one of the first martyrs, and he wrote the book of James. Judas also became a church leader, and he wrote that scathing warning in the book we know as Jude. So while Christ was in his ministry, and his brothers and family weren't necessarily buying into it or following him, what their father had taught them growing up had stayed. So that when the time was right, two of them, at least two of them, two that we know of, James and Judas, were called, and not just called, they were leaders. One was a martyr, Oath wrote scripture. Joseph was clearly chosen specifically by God, and we see why. He was just, he was a compassionate man, he was God fearing, and a man who raised his family in the ways of God. We have here in our Bibles, Preserved for us a man, a quiet man who led by example. In our quest to follow God, to spread the gospel, to do the work, we must also take warnings from Scripture that we are parents first, fathers and mothers first. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at some poor examples of fathers in Scripture. Fathers who could have been a little better. First Timothy chapter three, in the description of the qualifications of a deacon, verses four and five. Or sorry, this is the qualifications of an overseer. I'm sorry, qualifications of, of an elder or a bishop or an overseer. All the, the, sa- the same, the same uh, office per se. Cutting into the context, verse 4, we see that it needs to be one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, to which, in parentheses, Paul writes to Timothy and explains why, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he then take care of the church of God? So we need to, as, as, as Christians, as brothers, as parents, we need to strive to take care of our home first. Because the home, as we read back in Genesis, is the foundation for society and for the church. If we're not raising godly homes, this will spill over into the church. Let's briefly look at a couple of examples. 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is where... Israel demands a king from God, <clears throat> actually demands to Samuel, came to pass, verse 1, for Samuel 8, and it came to pass when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. The choices of the sons, were they were their own. Their, uh, Joel and Abijah, the choices that they made were their choices. They were not Samuel's choices. No one can... In Judgment Day, stand before God and said, I did it because my dad was like this, my mom was like this, my parents were like this. I stand on my choices. But, in all the work that Samuel did, all the fine work he was as a prophet, all the guidance that he gave Saul and David, it seems he wasn't plugged in at home. Because his sons were evil, and yet he made them judges he didn't know their character enough to see that you know what they are my sons but this isn't for them they can't be they can't be put entrusted with this he did a lot of great work for god but his boys did not follow god and it wasn't the fact that he can't be held to account samuel for his boys choices what he can be held to account for is that he didn't know them enough and made them made them judges of Israel. He placed them in leadership positions without really knowing who they had become. So again, there's lots of work to do. But together, we need to look after the home first, like Paul says to Timothy. 2 Samuel chapter 3. Second Samuel chapter 3. We heard today in the youth study about a man after God's own heart. A man who has been prophesied to be a, one of the chief rulers in the kingdom of God. A lot of authority will be entrusted to him. We're talking, of course, of King David. But his family life sometimes left a little to be desired. We see here part of the cause of this in verse th- two, Second Samuel chapter 3, Sons were born to David in, in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon. Now we don't. We could use a chart for this to keep track of all of this. His first son was Amnon by Ahinoam the Jezreelite. His second, Chileab, by Abigail the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. The third, Absalom, the son of Makah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Jeshur. The fourth was Adonijah, the king of Haggath, The fifth or sorry, the son of Haggith. The fifth, Shephatai, his son through Abital. And the sixth, Ithrium, by David's wife, Eglah. These were all born to David in heaven. These weren't his only children. But we see, and if you take time to go through some of the life of David, his all of the, the greatness that David was, the man after God's own heart, sometimes his family situation wasn't the greatest. And it was because, at the end of the day, he really didn't adhere to to the family unit, to the God-given, shall be joined to win one flesh. And while God permitted uh, polygamy, it wasn't his choice, his initial choice back in Genesis of what, what makes a good family. And we see here, even with King David, flip forward to 2 Samuel 13. And this isn't the only example, but we'll look at this example just quickly. This is one of many other places, and you can take time to read this example on your own. That David's house, throughout much of his reign, was a bit of a mess. And we see this example of Absalom, where his one son murders his other son. Absalom murders Amnon, And David's house is just a complete mess, because he did not adhere to the God-given, the God-ordained family unit that He created, that He created and instituted from creation. Choices in the lives of other patriarchs to go outside the God ordained un- family unit established in Genesis led to family strife in the lives of Abraham and in Jacob as well. Now, God, of course, uses all of this for his good. He can take our choices and use it for good. But these individuals that were going through this went through a lot of strife because of choices that they made. Choices that perhaps they put the good of their family behind the good of their work. That they devoted all their lives to their work and perhaps neglected at home. So much so that Samuel didn't even know his boys. A, a, a man as wise and has, and giving all, all of his life to God wouldn't have put his boys in place had he really known their character. That's, that, that, that doesn't sound like the Samuel we know. But he, he so wasn't plugged in that he didn't know their character. And we see other examples that we can go through that we don't have time for, like Abraham and Jacob, just to name two. Which brings us to what I like to call the portion of the, of the sermon called, So What? What does that have this to do with us today? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Pick it up in verse 5, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Let's go back to verse 1. We have time. Now, now, O Israel, verse 1, Deuteronomy 4. Listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord Lord God of your fathers has given you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every single one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Combine this, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Before we make some comments, Matthew chapter 5. And verse 14. This wasn't just an expectation for Israel but it's an expectation for all of God's people. For Christ tells us, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We, in our families and in our congregations, must not let the lowering of the standards In society, lower our standards. We must not let that happen. Joseph, he set the example even when laws and societal practices dictated otherwise. To the fathers in this room, God tells us to be the fathers I need you to be. Be the fathers I need you to be. Even to those whose children are grown and maybe perhaps are not under your immediate influence we still have an opportunity to set the example God expects us to set so that when he is ready to call they will have seen that example set in their lives. To those who aren't dads there are those amongst us that are not fathers or mothers or perhaps whose children are grown and are out of not part of the faith or not under your your area of influence perhaps you're not a father you've never been a parent there's still some obligation in the family of God. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. To those who are dads, it's pretty clear God's expectations for us. To those who aren't, Verse 46, while he was still talking, that's Matthew 12:46. while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mothers and brothers stood outside, seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples, and said, Here, are my mo- here is my mother, and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, and sister, and mother. Be a dad, be a mom, be a grandpa, be a grandma in the faith. Because we are family. Be an example to us who need to be fathers. Be an example to those who need to be mothers. Take your experience and shed that on us. We see in First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 1, that we are family in the faith first. We saw that that from the mouth of Jesus Christ, that here, these are my mother, my brothers, my sisters. Paul himself, on three occasions, to Timothy, referred to him as my son. Verse 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. Paul, by all accounts, was single, didn't marry. That was his lot in life but it didn't mean he didn't have sons to raise. He saw young men like Timothy could use a father in the faith. And he said to Timothy, a true son in the faith. Chapter 2 and in verse 1, sorry, Second Timothy 1 and verse 1, that's 2 Timothy 1 and in verse 1, he calls him a beloved son. Sorry, that's Second Timothy 1 verse 2. To Timothy, a beloved son. But back to First Timothy 1. I wanted to save this for last. First Timothy 1. Because it wasn't just in his introduction to his letters. It was actually in the letter. Verse 18 of 1 Timothy 1. He says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy. We seem to have a habit here that we've developed of calling each other brother or sister. Here, Paul referred to him as son Timothy. He wasn't his real son. He wasn't his biological son. But Jesus wasn't Joseph's biological son either. But here, Paul saw someone that needed a a spiritual dad, and he could be that for Timothy. And he called him son Timothy. We have opportunities here. Men's fellowship, women's fellowship, social gatherings, and we've only just begun. We don't know all the opportunities we have here to be with one another. As longtime members of the faith, be the father's And the mothers that our congregation needs to keep us on the right track. Be those spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, regardless of your lot in this, your physical lot in this life. We've got an opportunity in men's fellowship for those who've been around to teach us how to be, to teach us how to be a dad, to teach us how to be a leader. You've been there. Paraphrasing Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Or borrowing from it, I suppose it would be, I I would best say. You can be part of the great cloud of witnesses that we have here, whose experience and wisdom can guide our congregation. As Paul writes, let's flip to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. As Paul writes in verse 16, summing up what he had talked about in. The previous 15 verses. From whom the whole body, Christ obviously talking about Christ, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We all have a part to play in this family. We can be spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, spiritual grandparents to each other. My children... I don't know who I, I can't speak for the other children. Don't have grandparents in the faith, but we do here. We have grandparents here because we are each other's family. Our roadmap to bring back to bring this back to light. Our vision states that we are a dynamic, actively serving congregational family that worships God in spirit and in truth and keeps the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Our guiding principle states that we ought to know how to behave ourselves as the house of God. We are a family, and we are the house of God. And when we realize that, we can call to mind Christ's words when he said, these are my mothers, this is my family, these are my brothers and my sisters. We all fulfill many roles and have many titles. Speaking personally, I'm referred to in my life as Murray. I'm referred to as Honey at home son, boss, sir, even sometimes pastor. But hands down, my favorite title is dad. The role of the father in society is an afterthought, but it need not be. Let's take our responsibilities as leaders in our families seriously and ask God each day to make us the leaders he wants us to be. For those who aren't fathers... Your example, your encouragement, your support is needed and appreciated. Back to one last verse, let's turn to Joshua 24. Joshua 24. Joshua took his role as dad and as leader of his house very seriously. Now, therefore, verse 14, Fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Note the context of those final words. We need to do this, paraphrasing him. He's saying, we need to do this. But even if none of you will, I assure you and promise before God that I will. My house, those under my area of influence, we will follow God, even if none of you do. So dads, friends, brothers, let's resolve from this day forward to be the kind of dad Joseph was. Just merciful, faithful follower of God's, setting the standards by which our homes should operate. We have his example from over 2,000 years, a man chosen by God to raise his precious child. And when you stop to think about it, so were we, called to raise his children. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at CGIBurlington.org.